Well, I trust you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We sure did. There's something about having a baby at Thanksgiving that just makes everything better, right? So uh, if, you've, if you know that joy, you can rejoice with us. But we had a, we had a great time. But for me, it's always interesting. Um, we do the men's hiking trip. We come back and I go to Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful family time. And then, I, and then there's some football, and then Advent. And it always sort of is striking to me. We get here, and rather than dressing up in red and green, we show up in purple, and there's a little bit of a somber tone to our service. We aren't rushing to Christmas the way all the, the stores and the retail and everything that you see around you. Well, a few of us are, but for the most part, we, we, we pause here before Christmas and we say, wait, are we living in expectancy? Not simply just to celebrate Jesus' birth, but also the fact that Jesus will come again. You see that in the midst of our world, we realize that uh, there's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness. And, and we are aware, as Paul says, that the whole creation, he says this in chapter 8, is, it's like we have, we're having birthing pains. I've never given birth to a child. I never intend to. By the mercy of God, men do not bear children because, let's be honest, the human race would have ended really quickly. Women, you are so much stronger than us. You bear children. You know what it's like to be very pregnant with child. And Paul says in that same way, all of the creation is pregnant in anticipation, not simply of Jesus' first coming, glorious as Christmas is, but of his return, his second coming. And so in Advent, we, we pause before we celebrate Christmas. We prepare our hearts we make sure that we're taking spiritual inventory and that we're ready to receive the, the, the celebration of our Lord's return, our first coming. But we also look forward to his return when he will come and he will put all things right. And I find that so helpful because, you know, uh, Christmas can be one of those most depressing times for people. Depression, people that suffer with depression are particularly affected. People that are without families are particularly vulnerable. Um, I know that the, uh, the recovery communities are mindful of how easy it is to re- slip back into, into whatever addiction that you've been struggling with at this time of the year. And, and so it's so helpful to have something like Advent where we, we don't just rush to Christmas, that we set our minds first on all that the Lord wants to say. And Jesus begins Advent for us this Sunday by that reading from Matthew 24, that really weird kind of prophetic, apocalyptic uh, message he gave. I actually preached the first part of this passage from, it wasn't Matthew's version, but it was the Luke version of this back two weeks ago. And it's Jesus reminding us that we're to be faithful in times of suffering and hardship. And boy, was that a a timely thing. For us to hear with some losses that we've suffered as a community, things that we're, we have to go through. The Lord is, is reminding us that, that, that in this world we will have tribulation, but to be of good cheer for he has overcome the world and all that is in it. John sixteen thirty three. How important it is for us to remember that we live in this middle in between time 
this now and not yet, the theologians call it, where we see the kingdom of God breaking into our world and yet we still see pain and suffering and even death. And so we cry out, come Lord Jesus. Even though we know the joy of the Christian life, we realize that this life is far from perfect. And so we cry out, come Lord Jesus. One of the young guys on the hiking trip, uh, we were walking along and, and he said to me, Alex, do you, ever, uh, do you ever think about eternity? He said, it's just so hard. Our minds aren't really equipped to think about living forever. But, you know, so how do you wrap your mind around it? And I go, I, I never think about that, to be honest with you. You know, <laughs> I just, I, you know, I feel like that there's such a sense in which our whole lives are wrapped up in the brokenness and the fallenness of this creation that we, we can't even grasp it. But once we're set free from the body of death, as Paul calls it, we'll be able to understand eternity and never lose sleep on it. I believe the Lord will do something that will release our minds to be able to understand living forever without death where no pain or sorrow where those are no more so what is Jesus doing here in this passage well enough of the introduction let me let me just get right into it what is Jesus trying to say to us in these passages first of all he's not trying to scare us he's trying to warn us advent is about being prepared it's about expectation Jesus is wanting to have us prepared because he wants us to know that, that history is moving towards something, a conclusion, a, a climax, that this is not just a cyclical existence we live where we come round and round and round. Now, we live in a world where we celebrate four seasons, or at least we have two seasons, summer and football, but you know most people have four seasons. And, and we, the, we move around the, the year and we come back around. And I don't know about for you, but for me, Thanksgiving came way too quick this year. Somebody wisely told me that as you get to the end of the toilet paper roll, it, it moves quicker. And so perhaps, you know, they were speaking prophetically, you know, as I'm facing down my 53rd birthday, uh, that, you know, maybe it's just coming around quicker because I've made it a few more times around the planet. You know, the 365 days have, have, have come and gone many times now, but, um, but you can't get locked into that sense of cyclical, never-ending cycles, Christmas and New Year's, and, because Jesus makes it clear that he will come again. Now, probably what Jesus is referring to in this darkening of the, the world, the sun will darken and the moon will not light up and the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heaven, is not some sort of cataclysmic experience where we see like the, the you, know, you know, some sort of sci-fi thing, but probably it's speaking poetically, figuratively of a, a moment in time where it seems as if everything is falling apart. Everything is crashing in. All the world powers are clashing and it seems almost like an Armageddon type moment. It's probably what Jesus is referring to here. But he reminds us that in the midst of what may seem like the worst of days, he will come again. And with a loud trumpet, Jesus says, the Son of Man and his angels will gather from all the parts of the world. All those who love him, all his elect, 
all those who run to Christ for shelter and security. And we will know him in that moment. History is moving towards a conclusion. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't get to watch my favorite teams on, on, the, on TV, and so I record the games. If my team loses, I delete it. If my team wins, I watch it. And I don't know, there's just something really cool and special about watching a game where you know how the, that your team's going to end up victorious, right? And, and you can relate this if you're not a sports person to some other situation where you know the outcome. You can, you know, like a great movie that you watch that, that you enjoy watching over and over again. If you know then the end, no matter how bad the hero seems to be in trouble, that you know in the end they're going to be okay, Jesus is reminding us, I don't think in a way to make us fearful, but to to give us an expectancy that, that he will come again, that no matter how bleak it may look, the Lord will put all things right. He is that hero who comes and is victorious. And he will set all things right and he will wipe every tear away and death will be no more. Christ is reminding us that that's what we're working to. And so he's saying, be expectant of that. Watch is one who is not without hope, but one who knows ultimately that Christ will come again and put it all right. Well, secondly, the, and by the way, your insert is now on this lovely purple trifold. You've got all the scriptures. You don't have any other pieces of paper. Thank you, Nikki, for giving us just one piece of paper. But in the inside there, you've got the, the Matthew passage, and it breaks down into three parts. The second part starts with verse 32, and Jesus says to look at the, the tree, the fig tree, and to learn its lessons, that there are, there, there are signs that, that things are beginning to happen and that we need to be prepared. Just as if you see a tree that begins to take on a tender new growth, you see little budding um, you know, little, little buds on it, you know that, that summer is near. Jesus says in the same ways, be aware that there are signs of this end that's coming. Now, a lot of people get trapped and kind of caught up with that part. This generation, verse 34, will not pass away until all these things take place. Is Jesus saying that, that within the hearing of those first disciples that he would come again and all the things he's prophesying about the end times would, would take place. Well, no. Because if you drop, drop down just for a second to verse 36, you realize that Jesus says that no man knows the hour. So he's not saying all this is going to happen within one lifetime because Jesus would then be saying, I know when it's going to happen. And then right next to that, he would then go on to say, but nobody knows when it's going to happen. It's not at all. What Jesus is saying, you begin to see signs that, the, that, that Christ is preparing to come again. What did Jesus prophesy? He prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. The temple was destroyed, 67 A.D. Jesus began to prophesy that, that his spirit would be poured out on not just the Jewish people, but on all the peoples of the world. Judaism had a sect of Christians, those who followed Jesus as the Messiah. Now, today, we live in a world where Christ has become spread, his followers are spread throughout the Gentile world to all parts. People worship Christ on every continent except 
probably Antarctica. I don't know if there's any people in Antarctica, but, but all over, everywhere else, there are, everywhere there are tribes and tongues and people groups, there are Christians among those people, not necessarily those tribes, but in those continents and in those countries. There are more Christians living on the planet today, more Christ followers than in all the history of the world. Over two billion. Christ prophesied that, that his spirit would be poured out on all peoples. We're living in a place, and again, remember where Jesus is speaking, he's saying that at the time there's this small sect of Jews that believed that he was the Messiah, and now that's become a worldwide movement. That's signs of the times. That's things to be aware of and to be hopeful in as we prepare our hearts because we begin to see all that the Lord is doing in our midst. And then Jesus does come to that last section. No one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man will return. But Jesus begins to talk about the fact that there will be those who will not be aware and they will go about their daily life as if without expectancy and they will miss the return. Two in the field, one taken, one not. Two women grinding in the mill, one taken, one not. Therefore, Jesus says, stay awake for you do not know the hour. But it will come. Here's what I think Jesus is saying in very clear English. He's saying God can work through people who are expectant. God can work through people who are aware that we are moving towards something and are making themselves aware. The first thing to do is to call upon Christ, to trust in him for salvation, to believe that he is the truth, the life, and the way. And secondly, to live, as Paul says, as those who have no, owe no debt to anyone except to re- respond in love to people. Paul says that in that Romans passage that was read for us a moment ago. To live as people who are allowing Christ's transforming work to so work in us that people see us and we become a sign of the infilling kingdom. That we begin to be people who we, others can look at and say, well, there's something that's going on in that person's life that natural life cannot account for. And we become signs of the kingdom. Last summer, I took a class by Leslie Newbegin, this, this retired bishop uh, who worked in South India, and I became sort of um, preoccupied with this thing that Newbegin talked about Newbegin said that, he said that what Christianity, this guy's writing in the 50s, he said what, what Christianity needs is not, like, not superstars, not, if you will, mega churches, but faithful congregations. Thousands of faithful congregations. And, and um, it's sort of been transformative in my thinking over the last six months because I've, I've, I've stopped being preoccupied with the, with the quote-unquote successes of ministry and churches and, and rather been focused on making sure that this is one of those thousand faithful congregations. 
And I think about what Servants has been able to do in our, our, our small group or small group of people. And Tony Ladd shared last week about 150 students scholarshiped for high school in Kenya, one part of Kenya, Southern Nianza. Think about things like the 95 Christmas Operation Christmas Child boxes that were put together and uh, 42 baskets of food that were delivered to the Strike Out Hunger program. And you, you multiply that by year by year and the faithful people at Grace Marketplace and the folks that we've seen come to faith through the ministry of Servants of Christ, whether they're still here or now have been sent to Orlando or Ireland or Brazil and back or wherever they've gone, we, 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 we think about what God has done among us ordinary faithful believers and I wonder what could God do with a thousand faithful congregations are we living as expectant people are we living as those who know that Christ will come again and so yes we go on we go on with our regular lives we don't not enjoy the things of the seasons and but but we don't live only for those things but we live we hold them loosely because we realize that Christ will come again and we want to be those who are expectant and faithful when he comes The men's hiking trip left Gainesville knowing that there might be some bad weather. Now, I told Rick Gary that it never rains on me in the mountains, and he didn't know I was joking about that, and so he made up a little button, and all weekend he reminded me that it never rains on the mountains, said Alex Farmer, right? And it did rain on us. It rained a lot. All day Saturday, as a matter of fact. You may be thinking, stupid guys, you go every year, it rains, you got what you deserve. But we went. We woke up <laughs> Sunday morning. While you guys were here in church, we were <laughs> at about 5,000 feet. We woke up to a blanket of snow because once it stopped raining, it got cold. And the only thing to do then was to put on our, our cold, frozen clothes and keep walking. But we kept walking. By the way, uh, Evans, Jean, who was one of our, our members, Evans goes to our mission church up in High Springs. Evans had, uh, is from Haiti. He'd never seen snow. So though I was freezing to death and hungry and, and quite miserable from the elements, the joy of seeing Evans experience snow was, was really worth it, wasn't it? I mean, it, just, it, brought, it brought warmth to our hearts even while our bodies were freezing. And see, Evans is one of those people who came to UF and met a Christian, Kyle Quinna, and came to trust Christ as his Savior and was baptized and confirmed as a member of our mission church and is growing in his faith. And, and, and there's a sign of the kingdom. And then we almost killed him up in the mountains. <laughs> but we didn't. 
We kept walking and walking and walking and as we walked it got a little bit warmer and the sky cleared and it was beautiful blue skies and we got up to this one mountain called Standing Indian Mountain uh, which I'd carried the guys to years ago in a cloud covered environment but now the clouds were gone and you could see out and Jose and David and Rick got to see that mountain like nine years later that they had missed because it was so cloud covered. And, and we could look out and we could see the glorious day. And we wouldn't have seen it if we hadn't have kept walking. If we hadn't have been walking with an expectation that the Lord had something for us on this trip. And I know this is just a hiking trip. But it's also a metaphor for, for what, the, what the Lord is calling us to walk through in Advent. Will there be pain? Will there be suffering? Will there be hardship? Will there be times where you feel like giving up? Absolutely. But Christ will come again. Live with expectancy. And even as you walk, you see signs of the infilling, indwelling kingdom of God. And here's the best news. When he comes, Jesus won't be a stranger. When he comes, he will be the one we know. The Christ who will come as triumphant victor over all creation is the Jesus who comes to us in the Gospels and says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You see, it's not about working to prepare ourselves for the coming return of Christ. It's about clinging to him in faith. And trusting in him when you don't know what will come next. It's living with expectancy that he who began the good work in you will see it to completion. That is the hope of the good news message that we bring. That Christ who began a good work in you will complete it. That's how we live as expectant people during the season of Advent. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.